Hello and welcome to another edition of Las Blancas Podcast. I'm your host, Om Arvind, and I'm joined by Grant Little to break down Real Madrid Femenino 3, Rai Vallecano 0. It was a welcome return to winning ways, and it was nice to just cleanly beat an opponent once, even if it wasn't this absolutely dominant performance where we were just battering them with shots on goal. We rarely conceded chances, and we created enough to win by two or win by three, and we ended up winning by three. It felt like this was kind of the type of victory we needed in terms of being able to not have to exert too much energy, but also get some of that confidence back with a decisive victory. So before we get too into it, Grant is going to do the usual little updates with the league table. There, the, there weren't any of our competitors playing today, so it should just be the same league table you looked at with, with Real Madrid moving up. Grant, what does that look like? Yeah, so only two matches took place today. Real Betis plays our next opponent, who is Ibar, and they tied 0-0. And then we obviously beat Rio Vallecano 3-0. So at the moment, we're in second place, having played 29 games with 61 points. Third place is Levante, who plays tomorrow. And they have 61 points, so we're tied on points, but they basically have a game in hand until tomorrow. Real Sociedad has two games in hand with 51 points. And then as we get down further, it's looking less and less likely like some of those other teams are really challenging for these spots. So it's really between Real Madrid Femenino, Levante, and Real Sociedad, in my opinion, at the moment. So in terms of the league table in the second half of the season, we talked about how Sporting Huelva may have been a mid-table side 11th when we faced them last time out, but they had been in a really good run of form, right? So after today's games, Sporting Huelva sits in sixth place if you just take the form for the second half of the season. In total contrast, Rayo sits second last in 17th place. And this, obviously, because they lost they were basically there with eight points coming into this game as well, right? So not much has changed for them in terms of their second half season form after this game. Okay, we're theoretically facing two mid-table sides, but if we're looking at the more relevant form, Sporting Huelva looking like a much more capable opponent, whereas Rayo looking more like a bottom feeder at the moment. That's probably not where they'll end up. They're in 13th place at the moment after this result. I think they were 12th coming into this game. So this is one where we very much expected to win. And it, it was like a place where we had to pick up three points, right? A place where we look here for some added cushion and security. And I was a little worried, I have to say, because it just felt like the energy, obviously not being there, whatever energy I could feel behind my screen was a little lackadaisical. It took about five minutes after, I guess, the scheduled time for, for kickoff. And halftime, I think, went uh, three minutes extra, right? So there's a bit of a lazy feeling, right? Just a Saturday afternoon in Spain, siesta time. Players were just kind of relaxing into the game. And we've kind of seen how that sort of, I guess, attitude or just flow has affected us in these recent games, leading to poor results. But today, it was almost perfect for us, right? Because Rayo didn't necessarily come out with a lot of intensity. They played at a low pace. They were more conservative within their block. And our possession game wasn't necessarily incredible 
but we had control right for most of the game and that's kind of what the doctor ordered after these intense matches that we've had these last four games yeah do you know what you can attribute all of that to our captain ivana andres said we had six more finals today was a final (laughs) oh it's real madrid dna we step up in these finals that aren't cup finals I guess that's just what we do now. That's the Real Madrid motto. And yeah, I think it was a game flow that suited us particularly well. I guess before we get into it, are there any thoughts on the starting lineup? So basically the same 4-2-3-1 as before. The primary difference being that Marta Cordera mercifully was playing at left back and Olga Carmona was playing up as a left winger, something we'd been asking for for a very long time, any time you don't want to play Sofia or Marta Cardona out there. And Sofia remained the striker today, which again, wasn't ideal. And I think she struggled more today than she has in previous games in that position. We can discuss why, but tell me you weren't thinking that core there was going to be a left winger again when you saw it on paper, right? But when, when we actually saw it out on the pitch, it became obvious really quickly, but when you saw it on paper, tell me you weren't thinking that. Okay, so this every every match I do the player ratings, and I have my notebook open wide, so I have both player both sides open, and I have like the defense and one midfielder on one side, the attackers and one midfielder on the other side, and I always write Corradera as the left back, but I did not think that she was going to play left back. It was out of pure hope that a miracle would come, and that miracle did come today. I was completely surprised when it happened at first. I thought that this was, I mean, I think we were tweeting back and forth that, you know, we completely expected her to be playing at left wing, which is utterly insane that we, we, we assume that a right back is going to be playing at left wing when we have all of this attacking talent on this team. But for sure, I totally thought that she was going to be playing at left wing. But like you said, mercifully, we were spared that. We were spared that, and hopefully because Osnar is so results-oriented, right? Results over process, at least from what we can tell. Corradero scoring her one goal from 2,655 shots from distance from this position, like hopefully says to him, hmm, if I play Corradero at fullback more instead of left wing, she'll score more of those. And she won't, but at this point, I'm willing to like use whatever or accept whatever reasoning is necessary to get there at this stage in the season. I think still kind of the issues she generally has in terms of efficiency and possession and and stuff like that, but a much stronger performance from an all-around perspective because you're not relying on her to come inside in higher positions as much and do the risky things with the ball. She's mainly distributing from a deeper position and focusing more on her defensive work, which in that role is more of her strength. I was happy, I guess, to see that, right? I, I've always wanted to get to, to see Olga get more of a run at the left wing spot. And I thought Olga had a really good first half and she was our best player. How did you like her performance today? Yeah, like you said, I thought she was our most dangerous player all almost the entirety of her time on the pitch in her natural position, which is left winger. Um, She was dribbling at the defense, making some nice crosses, getting to the end line. She had a couple really good touches to open up space. And it was opening up space in a place where there wasn't much space because so much of our attack went down that left flank. And you had Kasi drifting over there. You had 
Sophia Jakobsen drifting over there, who is supposed to be playing at the nine in this match, and Aslani drifting over there, plus all of the defenders that they take with them. It was a really, really compact with personnel, yet Olga Carmona was able to use her skill, her touch, her pace to really break that down and create the best moments for us. Yeah, in the first half, I'd say all of her dangerous moments, most dangerous moments came from her crosses. First two, creating some threatening moments. The second one, resulting, it didn't actually result in a shot, but it just missed Sofia Jakobsen's head. It was an excellent delivery. And then the third one, quite obviously, was the one that caused the goal after the goalkeeper failed to clear it properly and Kasi comes into the box. And we'll get to that goal and break it all down. But yeah, in terms of that left-sided dominance, it's kind of like sort of a typical way with the personnel we had, we'd break down this type of defensive block. So we talked about the issues that the double pivot has had versus pressing. I thought maybe Ryo might go for it, but it became pretty obvious within the first minute that, nah, they weren't going to press high. So it was more sitting off in a mid block and the, the job of the front two being to just block all passing lanes into Teresa Abiera and Kasi and force Real Madrid to circulate wide into congestion. And then Raya would basically try to stop us there. It's not that dissimilar to a lot of games we played this season. And especially in games we've won against weaker opposition, where it doesn't necessarily look that pretty what we're doing. We kind of accept the direction the opposition is sending us, not that much manipulation or movement to, to create at least in my opinion, superior options on the ball, right? We're just going to play it out wide and then see what our individual talent can do. And obviously today, clearly the individual talent was overwhelming. Olga Carmona being a huge example of that in the first half, right? Where, as you mentioned, Grant, Sophie Jakobsen coming over there, Kosovari Aslani coming over there, Kasi coming over there to kind of like play wall passes and one-twos and Teresa at times showing over there. It created congested atmosphere that Olga, I think she managed well. And was able to kind of use that to kind of get out into space on the overlap and put balls into the box. And that's not necessarily an easy thing to do when the spacing isn't as organized and structured, right? You just have Sophia Jakobsen constantly running the channel because that's what she does when she's a striker. And then Asalani kind of floating in and out, trying to find a way to get into this game. And and we'll talk about her. She didn't really, though, she, she played a really crucial role in that third goal. That was just basically the patterns of play for the majority of the game, not just that first half, even though some some subs changed players around, moved them in, in different positions. And because Rayo had so little threat going forward, I think they had like two half-decent, that would be stretching it, but two chances in the first half that Misa dealt with comfortably. And she came off her line once to knock away a ball over the top. And that's basically about it for Raya. I think they had a set piece in the second half, maybe, that we didn't handle that well. But we cleared it. And really, Raya just just didn't really create anything to warrant that one goal. So when you look at it from that perspective, and the fact that we had the talent we had on that left flank, then it's, it's a fairly simple, straightforward victory, right? Nothing super special schematically to talk about. It's just one of those typical games that we've played earlier in the season that we've gone on and ended up winning because we have the players that we have. Yeah, and I think Ryo really missed an opportunity to press us because we're, we're running this double pivot that usually 
struggles with the press. And that's when we have Maite in there. We have Teresa and Kasi in there. And, you know, they haven't played there that often. I think they kind of worked into a functioning DP eventually. I think the first 29 minutes before that first goal, um, they didn't really have a great positional understanding of what the other was going to do, and it didn't work all that well. The thing that helps with that is they weren't pressing. Ivana Andres is back in the side. She's able to almost slide in and do that job that might they would do. And then you get Teresa to come drop back at times as well as she got a better understanding. So I think that um, it was interesting that Osnar went with the double pivot and selected Teresa. We don't usually see that without might they. And there is kind of a big difference, at least in those first minutes, because might they knows that position. She's either the single pivot or a pivot in the double pivot where she's usually functioning as still a single pivot in that where Cassie is kind of rolling around. So I think it was interesting and we didn't look the sharpest until that first goal went in. And if Ryo were to press us, if we were to do something like that for the first time against, you know, a team like Avar who were really good at pressing in our initial meetup with them, I think the result may have been a little different, but ultimately Ryo didn't do anything on the day and we were able to use individual quality to overpower them in the final third. So you mentioned Teresa dropping. I would have liked to see a lot more of that early in the game. And then when she gradually started to do it, I would have liked to see us utilize her a lot more purposefully in that area. There was some back and forth discussion about Teresa's performance on Twitter, on social media while the game was happening. And I just think, especially these last five games, it's really hard to judge our central midfielders in the sort of tactical environment that they're in where not much is happening to give them space on the ball and make plays in central areas. So even when Teresa was kind of dropping off into that back three, which I think is the right thing to do, right? That's why I wanted more of it to to happen early on in the first half because it creates that three versus two, what you can do is then split the center backs wide and then move the front two around to then be able to like switch play, pass between them, and you can threaten. Even if you're not always passing through the middle, you can threaten it, which is going to cause the opposition defensive structure to narrow just a little bit. And if the objective is to create good opportunities for your wide players, because that's where our most skilled players are, then that's actually a really good way to optimize wide players. Creating space in a structured manner in one area, like we'll open up space in another, right? Because it's a very reactive game football from a collective perspective. And so creating or looking or aiming to, to create lanes centrally doesn't mean you'll always have to play centrally because it'll cause the opposition to react. That creates space out wide. Once you do that, they'll react and you either have space in the center or you have space on the far side, right? So it's, that's what a structured offense starts to do. And, and then it comes on your players to then make the right decisions within that and basically advance your offense, progress up the field, create chances. And obviously training and automatisms and stuff like that can, can speed up that process and create these, I guess, these memory patterns in players' brains. So they, can, they can work off of it more seamlessly. Needless to say, as you've discussed many times, this is not how this side necessarily plays. But... Even just looking for Teresa when she drops off instead of immediately playing it wide, right? Getting her on the ball there, taking the time to split the center backs. Again, this is a low intensity game. There's not a real need to rush up the field, especially after we were 1 0 up. 
just seeing what happens there, right? Not even planning any patterns off of that. I think that just opens up things a lot more for us, if only because it allows us to switch from side to side more often. Because as we've discussed many times, an issue with this team is we'll just play it into the flank and that's it. We're going to barrel our way through no matter what the opposition looks like on that side of the page. So that was what I wanted to see frustrated me a little bit in the first half. But uh, again, ultimately, doesn't really matter that much against an IO side who didn't have what it took in the last line to keep us out, which, which is a case with, with, with a lot of these sides who are coming up against Aslani, Jakobsen, Cardona, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's understandable, right? This is some of the best attacking talent in the league. How much more do we have to say about the first half that isn't about the goal? I would just like to shout out, I thought Cardona did a really good job off the ball pressing from the start of the game throughout her time on the pitch. I think that she and Aslani really helped unsettle Ryo and force them into a lot of giveaways so we were able to keep the ball in that final third. I think a lot of the times we, we hype Cardona up, rightly so, about all of her offensive impact, but today was one of those days where she still did have some offensive impact, but she was also really, really impactful in starting and initiating that press and recovering loose balls in dangerous areas. Ardona is severely underrated in terms of her defensive work. The statistics back up what she does in terms of ball recoveries and tackles and stuff like that out of basically any forward we have besides Jessica Martinez. No one does more defensive work than Cardona, which is an amazing thing to say about someone who I've considered to be our star player for so much of this season. And with the really big offensive workload where if she doesn't perform, we can see the team suffer offensively. And I think we've seen that since the international break where I really hate to say it, but I, I think Cardona has struggled, which is natural because I think this is her actual first poor stretch of form, like actual string of games where I don't think she's been that impactful offensively for the first time this season, which is actually a remarkable thing to say. It's a bit unfortunate that it's coming now, but it, it, it'll happen. And uh, she, she probably could use a little bit of a rest as well, considering the critical role she's growing into with the international side. So it's not like she had much rest there. And then she's played a ton of games for us repeatedly this season again, because she's our best player. She has been our best player. I don't think she was useless offensively today. I think that it was a little better than some of the past games, which again was, you can never remove from the context from the fact that everyone struggled and it was a collective struggle. And when you're, when your players can't get the offensive players can get, can't get the ball in optimal situations, it's even harder for them. And today, it wasn't as tough as that, right? But a lot of her one versus ones just not coming off in the end. I think you mentioned that in the player ratings, Grant. And when so much of her game is, is surrounds that one versus one ability and what she can do in difficult situations, right? When she receives inside to the barrel at the defense, if that's not coming off, then a lot of her value can dissipate. So that's just kind of a rhythm thing. It'll, it'll go up and down. And luckily for us with this quality of player, She'll pull it off more often than not. We're just kind of in that place right now where it's not happening as much for her. And yet we can't say that she has no impact because the defensive work is always there. And turnovers and our ability to pressure Ryo played a part in them not really being able to produce much offensively. And though I don't think it was Cardona, it did end up leading to our second goal. That type of work has value. It tends to be more marginal for forwards, but it's important, right? It's not something you can write off. And it's something that I think really goes under discussed with Cardona, especially because numbers 
are not readily available for people. And when you have a player that has so much flair and does so many highlight-worthy things with the ball, it's always something that's going to go under the radar and, and, and is something that people ignore. But in a stretch where offensively she's been a little dry, I think this is a good time to kind of spotlight what she does defensively. And I think this game is a good case study of that. So thank you for mentioning that, Grant. Do you want to get to the goal? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so basically, this is in the 27th minute. Corridera kind of just gets in a challenge in the middle of the field, a little upper in the attacking third. Wins the ball. Ryo really thought it was a foul. I think it's one of those plays that you could call either way, and especially the way the ref was calling the match. She was letting the players play a bit more. You've got to play till the whistle, as the old cliche goes. She plays it into Olga Carmona, who gets down the flank, puts in a cross, and I think the goalkeeper gets a hand to it, knocks it into Kasi, who's making a late midfield run. And it's a really, really nice finish while she's sliding in on goal and puts it top corner to give Las Blancas the lead. And um, at that point, we, it looked like we could get some more. I feel like this goal was very emblematic of Corradero, though it ultimately became about Olga's delivery and Kasi's run into the box because it starts off from Corradero giving the ball away. And then she goes and wins it back, right? Like this kind of Jekyll and Hyde side to her where it it can just be very chaotic sometimes, especially when she's coming into interior positions, which is where she lost the ball. It works out for us this time. Again, like the thing you can never fault her there for is her work rate. And she wins the ball right back, which is what you want in that situation. And then it happens as you described. And again, Olga with the stinging delivery into the six yard box. And here's where I think Ryo just has to do better, right? Like the goalkeeper cannot be clearing that into a prime shot location in the center of the box. And the defenders have got to pay attention to to Kasi. I guess that would be disappointing from a Ryo perspective. But that was, I guess, sort of coming, even though there was like a good 15 minutes where I felt like nothing was happening. It was one of those games where it was just too much pressure on the box. With that and, and the quality of Olga's deliveries, it was more likely than not we'd find a way through, and that's essentially what happened there. So I think we can move on to the second half now. An interesting immediate change, which didn't have anything to do with substitutes at first, was Marta Cardona moving out to the left wing and Olga Carmona moving out to the right wing. Grant, how do you feel about that at the time? And as you watched it play out, what did, you, did your thinking change, or did it just reinforce what you thought it was going to be? I think it reinforced what I thought it was going to be. I tweeted this out during the game. Obviously, you want Cardona to be involved in offense. She is your most creative, most deadly player. But the solution is not to move her to the left flank. If she's not getting the ball at the right flank, why is that? It's a schematic problem where we're only going to the left flank. We're solely reliant on that left flank. We can't go to the middle and switch the point. We're not getting to the right-hand side. The fact that Osnar thinks that this is going to be fixed by putting Cardona on the left and Olga on the right is baffling because that who's on that flank is not the issue. The issue is that we can't get the people on that flank in optimal positions, and it's a tactical mess up, and switching the players is not going to do anything. We all know that Cardona is better on the right and Olga is better on the left. They should play in those positions yet we should still be able to get the ball to them in dangerous positions regardless of what's going on. This is 
it, it comes back to all these systematic problems that we've talked to. And I think it was really telling potentially of the way Osnar goes about solving things that his idea was to have them just swap flanks. I felt like I was being personally trolled because very, very early in the season, we saw some positional swapping between Marta Cardona and Sofia Jakobsen, which I liked because the truth is both of them are best on the right wing. But I think Cardona offers more on ball and receiving inside on the left wing than Jakobsen does. So it's a tricky thing to balance. Do you sacrifice a little bit of your best player's game to get the best out of Jakobsen? Or is it all just about optimizing your best player? So I thought swapping them, right, every 20 minutes or so or at halftime was a decent compromise. That was something I liked. And then it just disappeared and we didn't see it, like, ever. And he decides to bring it back when it's a clear-cut case of Olga Carmona being best on the left and Marta Cardona being best on the right. That's what, like, really baffled me. And uh, we did actually eventually get to a place where it was Cardona on the left, Jakobsen on the right, many substitutions down. But up until that point, we, we just never seen that until, I don't know, like, match day 7, 8. I, I don't remember, but it was way, way back. And so that's why I felt like I was being personally trolled because I was asking it with, with these two specific players and he goes ahead and, and does it when it's not necessary. And I think that stunted our offense because had a little bit more of Teresa being used as the free player, as an auxiliary center back, but largely it was the same stuff we were doing in the first half, right? Like just putting it down the wings, overloads on the left-hand side. Sophie Jakobson will make a run in the channel can we work our way through there somehow? And because Cardona wasn't quite as on form and because her space was also being a bit congested by Sofia going to the left channel, right? Because Cardona wasn't going to hold with the same way Olga was, which would create better spacing. It just killed our offense a little bit. Cardona's one versus one and, and, and dribbling game isn't on song and the spacing becomes worse and you've moved the one chance creator we had in the game to a side of the pitch where we're not going to as much. It was, it was a strange decision to me. I'm not sure what the thinking was behind that. And I do think it, it stunned our offense quite a bit. And, and that's why I don't have much to say until the Jessica Martinez substitution. Are there some chances or half chances that I'm missing in that period of time? Yeah, I think we had Kenty delivering a ball over the top to Jakobsen. She just can't get a shot on target. You had Jakobsen and Aslani linking up, but she was a little too close to goal to really test the keeper, and I think she fouls the player in front of her. But other than that, um, it's, it's the, the Jessica Martinez substitution that starts to unlock some other opportunities. In the 63rd, 64th minutes, a double substitution. So Maite Rose comes on for Teresa Vieira because, as we discussed before, Kasi is not allowed to rest until like the 85th minute or something. And then Jessica Martinez comes on for Olga, which was a questionable decision, right? Again, the best player in the first half, but became a lot less impactful because you moved her out. It was a bit weird to me, but again, 1-0 up. I, I didn't know how much it was going to matter. And the fact was, because you had a real striker come on, it improved the overall structure of the team. I probably would have taken off Cardona, who I think needs a rest anyway, but I, I guess he picked Olga, so it is what it is. And Jessica comes on, right, and becomes the striker. And this is where, for the first time in forever, we see Cardona on the left, Sophia on the right. 
And now you have a situation where the center backs are more pinned and there's a little bit more space for Aslani to drop, receive, at least in one versus one situation. So structurally, it became better. And then obviously, Jessica Martinez makes an impact five to six minutes later after she comes on with the goal. Do we want to go straight to that or do we have like something to discuss within that tiny I'll, span of time? I'll hop a minute before that. Um, this is where we really got to see Aslani linking up with Jessica. There's this moment where Aslani receives the ball. It does a little half turn. It was a really, really exquisite turn. Plays the ball through to Jessica Martinez. And then we, we got to see a little bit of something that maybe isn't a tool of Jessica. Her running into space. She tries to cut it back and she gets tackled off the ball. But that's the kind of thing that we expect from Aslani in these kind of positions. And although she wasn't able to get on the ball this much today, she still has those individual moments throughout a game where she can unlock a defense. And I'm sure this is the kind of reason why Osnar has shifted to this uh, 4-2-3-1 formation at this stage of the season. A lot of negative reactions on social media for Jessica Martinez coming on. I think she's been a very divisive player this season because she doesn't really have outstanding technical qualities outside the box. And it sometimes feels like she's a bit of a brute force player. But And I was having this discussion with some people in terms of what is the archetype of striker that people value more? And I think it's just really dependent on the community you talk to. But I think within the Real Madrid Feminino community, the one that makes a lot of impact off ball. And I don't even mean in terms of runs into the box, which is the more obvious thing Jessica does. But I, I mean in terms of just being high up to pin defenders and create space for someone else, which is really, really necessary in a 4-2-3-1 where you want your number 10 to be an influential player. You need someone like Jessica. Sophia just doesn't do it as much. There are moments where you can point out she's done it, but it's more an exception to the rule because she's just always looking to run in behind in the direction of the wings, not necessarily within the flow of the offense because that's just how she plays the striker role. It's, it's not her natural position, whereas Jessica is going to be a lot more judicious about just staying there and holding the defensive line back in order to, to create space for people. And that's, I think, severely underrated in, in our fan base at the moment. And I think a lot of it has to do with, I, I just think the entire outlook on her game would be a lot better if she finishes a couple chances, right? She's underperforming her expected goals by a little bit. And to me, it doesn't make sense to view an entire player's game positively or negatively simply on whether finishing variance is going for or against them. And I'm not saying that Jessica's a perfect player who can't be critiqued for anything, right? I understand that in certain scenarios, you want someone who can do more outside the box. So you have Lorena Navarro. And the truth is that Lorena is not bad in the box either, right? We've seen despite her short stature, she's been able to get some good shots off in her. In a very limited sample size, her shot numbers actually look really good. So I, I can understand, especially in, in terms of the perspective of, of giving time to Lorena Navarro, Ariana Arias not getting any time at all, right? And she's, you know, a, a classic number nine. I can understand maybe some frustrations in that sense, but I was not unhappy at all, right? I guess a long way of saying to, to see Jessica come on. And I, I, I didn't want Olga to come off, but in terms of putting Jessica as a striker and getting a proper 4-2-3-1 so that Aslani could get influence of the game, I was fine with it. I thought 
her coming on in isolation was a good move because that's what you need. And it really, to me, is an underrated trait. It's absolutely necessary if you want Asani to thrive. And I don't think it's a coincidence that she looked a lot better in these minutes when Jessica came on. And it's, it's simply to do with, with occupying defenders, which is super unsexy. It doesn't take obvious skill. It's not the type of skill anyone looks to emulate. And it feels like anyone could do it, right? Like, what's so special about that? But the, the simple thing is, a lot of players don't do it. It's only very specific players who end up doing it. And Jessica did it today, and I think it helped a lot. So super long-winded way of saying I was happy that Jessica came on. If Go I can ahead. hop in for a second, I, I agree with what you say about a lot of the opinions, I think, are driven by her lack of chance conversion. And she's been a bit unlucky in some of these instances, hitting the post, hitting the crossbar. But I think it's also important to remember, and I'm not making excuses because I do think she is she should have more goals this season. But headed chances under pressure, I think, are a lot more difficult to convert than shots with your feet. I mean, you you can pull off a shot with your foot very quickly. You can put as much or as little power and placement as you want in that short window. Obviously, it's not that easy. Things get pushed around. It's difficult. The windows for the shot are closing. But doing it with your head, you, you aren't able to generate that power. So it has to be really placed a lot better a lot of the time. And I think we've talked about this before. We tend to think that headed chances are easier than they are and that they should be converted more often than they are because at the end of the day, it is a very tough skill. And Jessica is good at it. She probably should have scored more headers, but she does constantly create danger in the box. And I think she gets a little bit of a bad rep because of the, the lack of goals she scored. So I, from a process perspective, you're always looking at repeatability. And what's more valuable from a long-term perspective is the ability to create, create good shots from good shot locations. And the end kind of part of that process is good movement in the box to get those shots off. And that's what Jessica does. And the finishing will come and go. That's just, that's just how it happens. Unless like you're looking at extreme edge cases where someone has this massive crisis of confidence or some huge technical flaw with their finishing that lasts over several years. And on the other hand, you have someone like Lionel Messi, who's the goat or whatever, or the second best player of all time, in your opinion. And so he's going to score a rate few people ever have because that's just his quality. I don't think there's much wrong with Jessica's heading technique. It, it's just that some of them haven't gone in. And uh, in terms of overrating headed chances, I think the biggest discrepancy between eye test assessments of chances and what shows up in expected goals is absolutely headed chances. Like, I can't count how many times I, I've seen people point to an XG chance for a header and be like, that's way too low. And single game, it can be wrong because it always misses certain factors. But uh, I've seen plenty of scenarios where through my understanding of XG, I know that's not going to be a high value chance. People are like not taking into account the fact that headers are just more difficult. So, and none of this is to say that I think Jessica is a world-class player, that we shouldn't necessarily be looking at elite strikers for the side. If we're going to play 4-2-3-1 going forward, I would say it's almost a necessity, right? I'd actually want an upgrade on Jessica. And with Aslani probably or possibly leaving, I should say, because we're not going to renew her contract, then whether it's a 4-3-3 or not, we absolutely need an elite four to come into the side, right? But in terms of what's available, 
which we, I've discussed in terms of Lorena Navarro, Ariane Arias, and how she fits in this team. I don't see that much reason to have like a, a very strong negative reaction to her coming on, but I do understand it. And I think it comes from a place of being frustrated with her finishing, which I think changed a lot of the conversation about her, but also because she's quote unquote limited as a center forward. But I just positionally, I think she offers a lot of what we need in that position. Though, again, I understand shouts for, for Lorena and I understand shouts for Ariane Arias, who has gotten basically no chances this season. So let's get to the goal. Yeah, so this is obviously this whole long lead up. This is a Jessica Martinez head goal. Um, Kenty, I believe it was, wins the ball back in the final third, swings in a nice lofted cross. Jessica climbs up between the defender and kind of his this looping header over the hand of the, the outstretched hand of the goalkeeper, and it finds the back of the net. And you see her celebrate. She goes down to the knees, slamming the the ground you could tell her that tell that she was really frustrated and very relieved and excited to get this goal and that it means a lot to her and remember guys at the end of the day these are humans they're not you know your your fifa game like there's a lot that goes into the performance that we don't really take uh into consideration whether it be like emotional state mental state and i'm not saying that she's dealing with any of that right now I'm just saying that um, you could tell that it really meant a lot to her to get this goal. And hopefully it leads to a few more in these in this last stretch. Especially in foot them, these players are not as isolated from the conversations happening around them, especially on social media. I'm pretty sure she's seen some of the criticism, if not all. And uh, she probably has not been happy with her performances herself because strikers more than anyone value their performances based on how they finish chances, which is maybe why confidence can get affected so much. And I think you can tell with a lot of certainty that that meant a lot to her after the chances she's missed and a lot of the fire she's come under. Speaking of the quality of headed chances, that was not an easy chance at all. It was way back in the box. Jessica Martinez was actually backpedaling a little bit, I think. Aslani was coming in as well, so she almost had to like beat Aslani to the header, right? So it was like a it was an aerial duel that shouldn't have been, but she she kind of had to fight for it a little bit. And it basically just had to win on placement because there was very little way she could generate power backpedaling. And it was just a beautifully looped header, which the goalkeeper really couldn't get to, got her fingertips to it. But it basically completely beat her. That was a really good header. And, and this is why I say that in terms of the finishing, I, I just don't see a technical problem because a lot of these missed shots have come with their head. She's a really, really good header of the ball. And more often than not, she's going she's gonna to put those away. And she's also going to put ones away that are really difficult, like the, the one we saw today. So obviously the conversation around her performance completely changes when she scores that goal. Not saying it necessarily shouldn't because that's such a high impact thing. But in terms of moving forward, you think about the movement it took for her to get that shot, her ability to get those shots off and the technique she uses in them. And then as we'll get to her, her positioning, which I think was really important on the third goal. Before we get to that, are there any more things you want to say about Jessica Martinez? Because we've had quite a conversation about her or anything in between the about 11, 10 minutes between our second goal and our third goal. 
Oh, and you can take it away on the third goal. I know you want to highlight her movement, so go for it. Yeah, so I did a little video on this goal, which is obviously on my Twitter page, because I, I think it was just the best goal we scored of the day, to be quite frank, and not just because Corradera scored a screamer. I think there were a lot of elements in what was quite an organic play because it was actually a counterattack. But I think they are things that you can take and implement in a more structured possession play, especially in the 4 v one So it starts off with Maite winning the ball back and talking about players being underrated for the defensive work. Maite might be number one in the squad. And so she wins the ball back. It's played out wide to Kenti. Raya in a position where they're sort of trying to recover. So there are definitely some spacing issues defensively. And I think Kasi just does a really good job in this scenario because she's closer to that flank. You can see her just sort of move forward a little bit and just set herself to open up her body to be able to play the one-two, which Kenti recognizes. And she just bounces the pass off of her. And right after that, Kenti is super alert. And by the way, we have to talk about her because I think she had a really good game. And she plays a pass into Aslani. And so Aslani, beautiful one versus one work with her back to goal. That's her specialty. That's what makes her such a good player. She spins around the other way. And as the screen pans, you can see where Jessica's impact is because she's nowhere near Aslani. She's way, way up against the left center back for Rayo, pinning the defensive line back. And Aslani is in a huge amount of space. Now, some of this influenced by the fact this is technically a counterattack. Ryo have, are not in a position where they could really organize themselves. But there's, I don't know if there's no doubt, but there is a lot less doubt that a center back would, would move out, right? To try to, to close down Aslani or, or the defensive line would just step up to compress that space a little bit, possibly making things more difficult for her if there wasn't someone just standing there, which again, sounds so simple. But it's absolutely necessary for, for offensive structure, especially within this formation and, and, and the type of player that Aslani is. If you go back and look at that goal or, or you look at the video I made, it's just patently obvious the amount of space she has to turn into. And so once she does that, she can just kind of drive forward with the ball, like, which is what she does. And then Cardona has good recognition in this moment to come inside, fill the half space or fill the channel. And she allows that link to the other side. And because of Jessica's positioning, you also have the passing lane open to Cardona, right? Because the defense isn't really in a position to commit a center back to step up to her because Aslani will just slip Jessica through. And it's just a really nice rotation to the far side. Corradera ends up coming late to complete the switch of play. And the final thing here, which is just a decision made by Cardona, and I don't know if it was intentional in terms of a decoy run, but it doesn't really matter because these types of runs will have that effect anyway, even if your intention is to receive the ball. And so Cardona, seeing that Cordera is driving inside or just making the run anyway, beelines to the left, moving more towards the touchline. She takes a defender with her, and that gives the space for Cordera to cut inside and put a shot on goal. Ultimately, not the highest quality shot because a long distance shot, and it is from Coradera, who has been memefied in terms of her desire to shoot from distance, which has not been efficient at all. But this time it happened, right? And it flies in the back of the net. And she's absolutely delighted. Coradera had a whole celebration afterwards. 
But I think it was a good process to, to be able to, to lead to that instance because it didn't have to be a shot. Cora there could have kept dribbling into the box. She could have looked to play Jessica in. She could have played to the far side and we could have got a good cross. It was a very good way to approach the final third. And I took so much time explaining it, which was all an organic sequence, split-second decisions made, because it doesn't always have to be just spontaneous, right? We can do things in structured possession play that replicates some of the stuff we saw today. So just some key things to, to recap. The striker pinning the defensive line and specifically the center backs to create space for Aslani to receive. The intent to look for Aslani between the lines. Looking to switch to the far side after we played out one side and after we attract defensive attention. This is what I talked about earlier, not being obsessed with staying on one flank. It's okay to, to go to the opposite side where there's space. And then the final thing, which is a good part of any offense, runs to drag defenders and open up spaces. Just all elements that we can implement so that we can do this more regularly, right? And it's not just something that, that happens um, between a number of, of very talented individual players. Grant, did I leave anything for you to touch on there for that third goal? Did you, did you mention Cordera's flex? She taps the arm. Um, I think that was, that was really a good moment. I think I'm sure, like we talked about that, um, she sees some of this criticism, if not all of it. And I think that she was really reveling in the fact that she scored an absolute worldie today and was able to flex on all of the haters. We're going to see six shots from distance from, for next game, for sure. I mean, we were going to no matter what, but now we're going to see even more. And we probably could have started some rotations earlier in terms of substitutions. I know we already brought on two players, but it was after that goal that we saw a couple. So Chioma, who we've been asking to be utilized a lot more often, and wondering why she hasn't been utilized. We've had a big discussion about that last podcast. She comes on in the 81st minute for Marta Cardona and has a pretty good cameo before Tysa comes on for Kasi in the 87th minute. Apparently, three minutes of rest is enough for, for the beast that is Kasi. But obviously, we, we don't have anything, no sample size to judge what Tysa did. How did you feel about Chioma's you know, 10 to 13 minute cameo? I mean, this is what we've been asking for. She did exactly what I expected her to do. She performed well. She created chances for herself. She got on the end of passes. She created chances for others with her passing. It really makes no sense to me why she hasn't gotten more minutes. I mean, I don't think that she should start every game, but I think she should definitely start some. She's a really, really quality player and very dangerous and provides something different than some of the other wingers in our team, that ability to get on the left cut in, still get end line. I mean, she's a really unique winger and a very talented footballer. And I'm, I'm just not sure why we haven't seen more of her. Yeah. Drawing more from the Takan days, because even though we weren't able to watch away games, or I didn't know how to at the time, there's still a much larger sample size with her than what we've seen this season. She's a player that, as you said, offers something a little different from our wingers, where Cardona might come inside on the left wing, right? And, and she does definitely a lot more than, than on the right. But it's, it's still more of like a classic winger interpreting that movement inside, whereas Chioma just sits there a lot more, right? She's, at least from what I've seen with Takan, it might have been different when she was playing elsewhere. 
that was kind of her role, being kind of an inside left winger, being comfortable receiving there. And then she makes just different types of runs into the box. So she's another body rather than than being the one delivering the ball into the box at all times, which is kind of what we saw today where she got a couple of decent shots off on the left-hand side of the box. Even if we're not going to start her in a lot of these games, I think she could have been very useful as a super sub in a lot of encounters, especially when games were sort of tight. We needed a little bit of a spark plug off the bench. She offers something different. It's something that defenses have to shift and, and adjust to. And she has quality. She's a good player. There's a reason we went on and got her. There was a reason she was a key player for Tacon last season before we ended up getting Marta Cardona and Olga Carmona, who are some of the best wingers in the league. So yeah, I'd hope that Osnar takes that cameo, even though it doesn't necessarily like prove a whole lot, but it just reminds him a little bit, okay, this is the quality of player I have. I can rely on her because I, I trust her to be able to deliver when we need her to. And I guess just to add on, it depends on how much you value clutch and and whether you even think that's a real thing. But if you do, Chioma had some clutch moments with Sakon last season when we needed points. And uh, she was there, especially as a super sub coming off the bench. So yeah, that's a little bit of Chioma propaganda. Anything more we want to discuss about the game? I would just like to mention... Both of our fullbacks today, I thought Kenty and Corradera had two of their best matches since, you know, the halfway point. I think they've they've looked a little tired. They've struggled, obviously, Corradera being in and out of position, Kenty traveling, and Corradera as well with their national teams. I think they looked back to their to their best today. Kenty was really, really good putting in some challenges, getting up the flank, putting in dangerous crosses. As we mentioned, Corradera scored a banger and was doing some good things at that left-back position. Amazing what happens when she plays in the defense like she should. Um, Those were two of my standouts, other than Olga, for this match, and Chioma, who came off the bench. And I was really impressed with them. I really liked Kenti's performance today. As you mentioned, the best one in a long while. Just to reiterate her importance on that second goal, stepping up really smartly and aggressively to cause a turnover which then allowed us to spark that entire play for Jessica in the box. She actually delivered that cross into the box, right? So she was all over that play. She was extremely important. So that's kind of what you want out of fullback. Reliable defensively, good deliveries from out wide, pleased with Kenty's performance today. It felt very much like the Kenty we saw with like the first 10 games of the season where we were just floored by her quality and what she could provide. And I think since then, it's been dimmed a little bit by simply being overplayed but yeah it was it was good to see this version of Kenty this vividly in a game where we really needed quality deliveries in the box so in the first half it was Olga's crossing second half it was Kenty's really pleased with her any other individuals you want to mention um I think we it's important to mention Misa because although she didn't have much to do today I think it's like literally every game that we've played she has had to come off her line quickly, be alert, even when she isn't fully in the game, fully in the action, and make a big save that could change the, the course of the match, whether it's coming off her line or getting in front of a scrambled set piece. Yeah, not much to add there. Where I do want to go, maybe to end the podcast, is to talk a little bit about the interaction with the fans who are there at Vallecas and how they interacted with the team. So. Marina at 
Flash Cardona on Twitter, who is probably not listening to an English podcast, but shout out to her on like the 0.001% chance that she is. She was at the game with a number of other, I guess, prominent Twitter users from an RM Footfem perspective. It's all relative. And you could hear them kind of singing in the background. I think that was them. It might have been the Rio Vallecano fans as well. No, I, I but... saw a picture of them with a megaphone. I, I made out quite a few Real Madrid chants, chanting of the players' names. It was impressive support in Vallecas. Yeah, you could hear it faintly coming from the background. Like It was really good for the amount of people that were there. They were loud. And uh, I don't know if this was Marina or not, but there was someone at the end of the game just like screaming Cardona's name. And uh, you know, whether it was her or not trying to get Cardona's attention, she did manage to meet in person with her. And the context being, this is her idol, basically, her footballing idol. You probably can guess from the Flash Cardona username for her Twitter account. And she's done this thing where she, I guess, photoshopped Cardona's face into uh, a Flash, like that helmet or whatever mask he wears. And she printed out a shirt that had that and ended up giving it to Cardona. And I think she's had other players sign it, right? I think in the Madrid CFF victory, she had Misa sign it. I think other players have signed it. The cool thing is the squad absolutely knows that joke, right? Because you could, in one of the videos that was posted on social media, she like, I think she said Flash Cardona and like Maite Rose and another player just kind of started laughing because they know what that means. They know who Marina is, I guess, from Twitter and also from attending games. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw under uh, Cardona's Instagram post, all of the players sending the little (laughs) lightning bolts, Flash Cardona. It was a really heartwarming moment, and you could see that it meant a lot to Cardona. Um, When they took that picture together with her either holding the shirt up or, or wearing the shirt, I can't really remember now. But it was fantastic, right? Like it, at fucking like 9.45 a.m. in the morning, I'm like getting all emotional and shit. And I have the whole day ahead of me. This is why they do it, right? To a certain extent, this is why we do it. And this is kind of the special place that women's football is in at the moment, especially in Spain, where it's really close knit. It's a really tight community. And it's not something that's going to last forever. As the game gets bigger, at least in my opinion, players are going to have to be more isolated for their own mental health, right? We saw Sergio Aguero today, like apologizing on social media for missing a penalty, which is bizarre to me, right? Like there's no reason a player should have to apologize for making a mistake, a footballing mistake on a football field. But players are, the pressure that and, and scrutiny that is on them will only continue to increase as there's more eyes on the sport. It will no longer be tenable for these players to go through their mentions and look at all the things that fans say about them, right? It's, I mean, there still are athletes who do that, right? Like KD, I don't know if that's the healthiest way to go about it, but most don't, right? And they end up handing it over and the interactions with fans because it becomes very segmented. It starts to become very controlled because that's just how it wants to be. And from a, a grand perspective, we, we kind of want that, right? We want the women's game to become so big that you start to see some of these things but there's always like a, a good and bad, a double-edged sword to everything. And the place we're at in right now is if you want to create some kind of personal connection with a player that you really love and you know, you're kind of there and you can, you can meet, like it's possible. Like it's absolutely possible that that's, we're in this very special place right now where some kid, right. And I say kid because uh, 
I know she's a university student. I've seen from, from some of her social media posts, but like this, I don't know, teenager, a young adult has had an impact on the team, right? What was an inside joke with how many ever, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 Twitter accounts is now an inside joke for Real Madrid football club. That's insane to think about. And they know her. All of them know her now. And that is a nickname that Martha Cardona will have going forward, Flash Cardona. It was the best part of the game for me. It was the best part of the day for me. And yeah, it just it, it just reminded me what the game was about at its most fundamental level. And it's what, as fans, I think we seek more than anything, to have some kind of real tangible connection with the people that we admire and watch every single day and is unattainable for most of us. But in women's football at this particular moment in time, especially in Spain, is actually attainable for a lot more people than it maybe will be in the future. So that was really special for me to see. I absolutely loved it. And yeah, it, it put me in a pretty good mood for the rest of the day. Yeah, it, it was awesome to see. I think we, I think we need to enlist her Photoshop skills and put an Iron Man helmet or armor on Kasi because like we said, we're never <laughs> going to get any rest. I think that's the next superhero that we need to, we need to get going on foot them Twitter. But um, yeah, it, it was really, really cool overall. I mean, I'm, I'm having a wonderful day for those of you guys that don't know. I cover the Portland Thorns and a player I interviewed over the, off season scored the winning penalty in the challenge cup final this happened barca and atleti tied it is all good vibes for me right now and some pretty special moments i think that's a pretty good way to wrap up the podcast so as we mentioned we will be back with you next week at 6 a.m was real betis the opponent no it is a bar a bar. Okay. I don't know. For some reason, I remember you saying we're going to play Real Betis next, but it is a bar. And speaking about, or as we have spoken in many of the last podcasts, but if we mentioned it today, but how we struggle versus high pressing, a bar destroyed us from their high press the last time we faced them very early in the season. We will see whether the double pivot shows up, whether a bar maintain that level of intensity versus us, whether we go to the 4 3 3. It, I don't think, will be an easy game at all. And even considering that Abar's form in the second half of the season has, has been kind of poor, and they're in 15th place just looking at second half of the season form, they will probably still come out with something to test us, and it's not something we can take for granted, especially considering how things are getting close to the end in terms of Champions League qualification. So we'll be with you then. But until that time, Grant and I signing off, Al Madrid. Al Madrid.